Welcome to the Ruchi Strengthcast. Dan and Paul are the owners of one of the largest powerlifting gyms in the world, Ruchi's Gym, and are experienced powerlifting coaches. Join them as they discuss and debate all things powerlifting and strength training with some fun stuff thrown in. For more information, visit ruchisgym.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Ruchi Strengthcast today. It's Sunday morning, 8.47 a.m. Uh, we have very special guest, Adam Beard, with us today. Good morning, Adam. It's actually nighttime for you. It is, yeah. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Good morning. So before we get into it, Adam, whereabouts are you? I'm in uh, Arizona in the US. Awesome. Thank you very much for um, being on the show today. Um, look, a bit, a bit of background check for those that are, who are not sure who you are, Adam. I've done a bit of a profile. Stole some of this from your LinkedIn. So look, guys, Adam, we've got Adam Beard here today, PhD. He's one of the first directors of high performance in North American sport, has had a very esteemed career. Actually, he's a he's a homegrown boy from well, from Sydney, really. Hey, Adam, born in Sydney. Yeah, born in Sydney. Yeah, born in Sydney, but um, grown up in Perth. Um, so you know, pretty awesome to have someone of Adam's caliber uh, grow up in Perth and also uh, get his get his bachelor degree here at ECU as well. So a little bit of a, a history on Adam um, from some of his, I guess, career highlights. And from 2012 to 2013, he was the head of fitness at the British and Irish Lions. I know he had some awesome success there. 2009 to 2015, you were at the Welsh Rugby Union as the head of physical performance. And 2015 to 2019 at the Cleveland Browns in the NFL as the first director of high performance there. And currently at the Chicago Cubs as the director of high performance. Does that sound about right, Adam? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I love, now, that. I, love, I love that you're at the Chicago um, at the Cubbies because it reminds me of that scene in Back to the Future. <laughs> I want to go. I wish yeah. I could go back and put some money on the Cubbies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so, Adam, I've got some other stuff, but just going back to the director of high performance role. So, let me get this right. So, the director of high performance basically is someone who collaborates and directs a range of disciplines, you know, such as medical, strength and conditioning, psychology, uh, et cetera, right? Is that, that's basically the gist. You basically get all the disciplines to work and gel together. Yeah. You, like in terms of my role, I oversee everything physical and mental behind the sport. So I don't oversee the coaches and that, but all the other support staff. And it's my job to try and get all of the subject experts and then try and get them on the same page to achieve the best performance outcome. That sounds very awesome. I guess my question to you is, was this your idea, this director of high performance role? <laughs> that I invented it? <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I mean, uh, it was the first role in the North American sport, am I right? The director of high performance. So where did, where did it come from? Well, I, in the NFL, it was. So I was the first high performance director in the NFL. Um, I was the first one at the Cubs, but not in the MLB. So, so other yep. teams have kind of a, a, a hybrid of it as such. So now I think looking back at it, it kind of comes from the former GDR or USSR like systems, you know, they had a sporting director who oversaw everyone outside the sports coach. Um, yep. when the Australian Institute of Sport in 82, we had a lot of people who came over from those systems. And, and helped develop a lot of our sporting system. So then as, as it happens, professional sports steals these peoples from the Olympic sports because there's a little bit more money and then it's kind oh, of yeah. Fun, so Yeah, yeah. Right, cool, awesome. Yeah, that, that's right. I got that from um, uh, from your LinkedIn as well. So yeah, I think you're right. It's the, obviously, you're correct. It's the, it was the first director of high performance role in the NFL. Was it, did it take some convincing? How did it come about? <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. So, um, you know, there's, there's several kind of uh, management um, companies or headhunters, as we like to term them. And yeah. I'd had a few kind of reach out about the MBA because MBA was very interested in kind of load management and, and that sort of thing coming out of Australia. Um, and then just got a call out of nowhere in, in terms of, look, we've got an NFL team. There's a high performance director. What do you think? Would you like to put your hat in the ring as such? So I think it was a long list of probably 40 people. 
I said no. I just said no. Like I've, I'm doing. I'm just started my PhD. I'm at the Welsh Rugby. I've put in a lot of effort over six years. You know, second Rugby World Cup. Um, they said they rang me back probably a week later and said, "Look, would you just talk to the franchise and just give them an overview of what high performance is?" And I thought, "Yeah, yeah, I will." Because if you're going to go for a mm-hmm. foreigner, and if the foreigner stuffs it up as such, or you know, someone lies or is a charlatan to get into that position. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I am because in the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of good people from Australia and, and you know, Europe and stuff who probably want to go and work in the US. And I am really passionate about our industry. So I wanted to make sure and arm them to get the right person to open it up because it could easily close very quickly. Oh, especially in the NFL. I remember us having this, yeah. this discussion um they yeah. can sack people as quick as they hire them over there it's brutal they do they do and yeah it, it's the money college football is is the same you know at the, the division one you know especially in the in the big you know pack 10 and and all that mm. sort of stuff um mm. but yeah it, it went along um they asked me for an interview said look, look can you can we fly you over you know to fly you over first class, all that sort of stuff. And I thought, wow, like, look at that professional development. You know what I mean? I get to spend some mm-hmm. time with the head coach, general manager. I'd been to the US and, and done study tours before, really just got to shake the shake the head coach's hand if I was lucky or if I crossed paths. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I said, yeah, happy day. So I presented a, a model and I, I kind of said, culturally, I think the first year you have to educate your coach on things like planning, periodization that really didn't, uh, wasn't really a big theme in, in the NFL. So I said, look, first year I have to, you know, really discover what's going on. And I'm mm. called two or three weeks later when I got back and said, yeah, we actually really like that model and you're our guy. Can you fly back out? So For a second interview. Flew me, yeah, flew, well, flew me back out for, for an hour interview with the owner and an hour interview with the head coach. That was it. I had to fly <laughs> from... <laughs> from Europe, from Europe. All the way there, so yeah. So um, they spend big money. You got schmoozed. And- you got schmoozed. You got totally schmoozed. <laughs> Did I? Uh, it was interesting because I, I hadn't told anybody from from obviously my, my previous job at the time, and they were giving me all this this gear for the family, and I was coming home, and here's the Browns cats, and here's the kids, and it's like. Uh, how are we going to tell people we go for the Cleveland Browns suddenly? You know, like you can't. Oh. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, I mean, um, Heidi and I were obviously lucky enough to come over and visit you guys and get a tour of the training facility there. It's unbelievable. Yeah. No, the facilities are really good. They put in a lot of a lot of money. The owners, um, I thought the owners were excellent people and, and they really invested in their franchise. I was lucky enough to redo the, the weight room and training room and, and recovery while I was there. Um, oh yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, first class, first class. So, but unbelievable. Same sense, yeah, and and the same sense when they spend money, they expect results. So, um, of course, it was a big learning thing for me. Uh, really excited. Everyone was, you know, great, and you know, you're gonna be the first guy. But then, then you have to go and do it. So that was <laughs> very interesting, and and I don't think they really knew what they wanted. You know, like they're mm. not very traditional. The, the U.S. systems are very traditional. You've had the strength and conditioning coaches since the 70s, you know, Nebraska, um, you know, uh, Boyd Epley out of the NSCA really, really early on. They had weightlifting coaches, powerlifting coaches as their first strength coaches. And, and you know, they would do that part-time away from their training. And, you know, that was really deep-rooted into their system. So to have this guy kind of on top, it was almost like, oh, are you a strength and conditioning coach with a few more degrees? It's like, mm. no, I was the training. And so it was, it was a minefield the first couple of years. Mm. Yeah, I bet it would have taken a, a bit of time to sort of um, break down those barriers and uh, get them used to a different way of thinking. Yeah, I suppose one of the um, questions I have is sort of now that you've had extensive experience overseas, what are some of the, the major differences and even similarities between say strength, high level, um, high performance strength and conditioning over there or overseas and in Australia, like, is it taken as seriously here and all that type of thing? Mm. Really, really interesting question. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very, it's very, very different, stark different. I kind of look at Australia, you probably haven't got, so for instance, you go in the collegiate system here and 
you're a HIT guy, so machines kind of repeat kind of uh, uh, power type thing, or you're an Olympic guy, or you're a powerlifting guy. Like they come from the three, whereas in, in Australia, you know, you guys will, will attest to this. Um, they're more hybrid guys. They, they, they're not hardcore weightlifting guys or powerlifting guys, or they haven't got a, it's more of a, sciencey kind of more fitness orientated i guess which yeah they refer to them it's like an applied science field yeah it's, um yeah. you're right though it is very much like that yeah yeah so very early on i was attracted to to weightlifting to heavy lifting and, and, and that sort of thing you know i did my honors degree in in biomechanics having a look at you know shear and compressive forces at l5s1 with weightlifting and you know, we did deadlifting. You know, I started reading a lot of research in, in, in you know, uh, powerlifting and that sort of thing and how it affected back. That really interests me. So the U.S. interests me because they're probably more uh, extreme on that side. Yeah. Um, it was a very much def- definite profession too, you know, so. Wow. Well, there's, and also, I guess it's so much bigger over there. There's more money in the sports. There's more opportunity. I mean, professional sports is huge compared to here. I mean, let's be real. Here in Australia, we maybe have 10 real professional teams like in AFL. You know what I mean? Like every other sport in Australia doesn't really uh, hit the mark. You know, even no. even locally, your Western Forces and your Perth Glories and stuff, you know, they're not, they're not really that big, really. Yeah. Well, I did a talk for a group earlier today and um, – our franchise is worth three point one billion. Um, our <laughs> roster is <laughs> our roster is worth two hundred and nineteen million. So you have players on twenty seven and a half million, twenty one million, and I'm not talking multiple seasons. That's per season. So um, yeah, the magnitude is a lot bigger. And, and then I guess you have a look at the collegiate systems where they don't pay the players. You know, like yeah. Alabama earns over five hundred million a year. For their football yeah. program, that's yeah. perfect business model. The, you don't have to the pay, pay the uh, talent. They just they just boggle my mind. Yeah. They honestly yeah. boggle my yeah. mind. You know, tens yeah. of thousands of spectators at a college game. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. hundreds, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of people. Of like, you know, yeah. a lot of the a lot of the colleges have hundred thousand stadiums and pack them every single game. Um, nice. They're money making machines, but the the sport and I guess the um, the system is just so much bigger. Like college football is bigger than all of our sports in Australia combined. combined. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. And then <laughs> some by a, quite an order yeah. of magnitude, I would assume. Wow. It is, it is. But then comes the traditionalism. So when you go into these, a lot of these sports, they're very territorial. You know, like they've done mm. things the same for a long, long time. Why, why, why could this little white bald Aussie guy come in and tell us how to do things better? Yeah. Mm. That was a big thing for me because I had to sit back and, and actually ask them, hey, on a football sense or a baseball sense, what are you actually trying to achieve and what are your frustrations? And, and not necessarily with strength and conditioning or physiotherapy or athletic training or nutrition, just what are your frustrations as a coach? And it's interesting, once you start getting into those interests of what they want to do, then you can kind of put your systems in place to help them. So. Mm. What are some of the um, some of those pain points that are pretty common amongst those professional head coaches when you ask them that question? Yeah, um, time. Uh, developing athletes. So, so we've got a lot of restrictions in the US and I really hope that Australia um, and Europe don't go down this, this road, but you know, we've got a lot of restrictions outside of the season, so the off-season. So in the NFL, I'm mm-hmm. not allowed to contact the players. So we call it a black period. So you know, the players go along and they train with their local, could be CrossFit or their friend or, you know, a boxing coach or they train a lot on the beach, you know, and then we tend to get injuries oh. from that. So it's trying to, you know, we constructed it where I talk to every single trainer for every single player and be it, you know, I put my ego to the side. I didn't care if I didn't agree with them. I didn't think they were very smart or they were very good or they were good, is I would arm them with the information that I had and said, look, we're going to test and I want them, the boys to come back in this and started developing relationships, um, you know, bought them gear and stuff like that just to make them feel a part of the, the team. Mm-hmm. And the coach was really happy with that because he was getting a better product and the players are allowed to ring me, but I'm not allowed to ring them. And, 
you know, in America, they track that very, very seriously. So um, they can see whether you've rang them before or after. So, you know, they were starting to ring me and say, hey, my trainer wants to ask a question. I'll just put him on, you know, or, hey, I'll send him a video. Mm -hmm. And it became a real two-way street. So things like that of just trying to be creative. And I guess um, coming from a different background in Australia and, and that sort of thing, we just look at problems a little different, whereas in, you know, they're probably stuck a little bit in tradition. Mm. Oh, yeah, it sounds like it. That's so bizarre. A blackout, a professional sport worth $3 billion can't contact their players outside of season. Is that is that true yeah, for um, baseball and um, NFL? Is that the same? Baseball is different. Like We're allowed to contact our guys and, and go along and that sort of thing. But baseball, they're more guaranteed contracts. So the, if you think of a guy who's on $27 million, he signs for – and they sign for a lot longer because it's a non-contact sport. So mm. they can sign for – eight years you know so mm. or 10 years you know last um, <laughs> yeah well trout trout um at the angels i think he signed a contract 440 million for 12 years Ooh. you know so he's going to have an agent who gets three percent of that like mm. they're really engaged so the agent provides them a strength conditioning coach a psychologist a nutritionist Right. Don't trust the club. The club's trying to put you out. The club doesn't want to pay you, all that sort of stuff. So it becomes a very untrusting thing. So you have to really get in with a player, but also the agent, you know? Right. Wow. Didn't realize the agent was that 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 involved. Oh, yeah, very, very much so. So if you think of, you know, I think I, I read one of the eight top agents in, in the Major League Baseball over the offseason earned, I think, $58 million dollars. It's a very lucrative, yeah, and and he's got like a, uh, a, a like he bought a ranch. So then there's it, it's like it, it's a baseball professional facility. It's got the best of the best. Oh, of everything. So wow, these guys go back there, yeah. So it's the system doesn't feed the system. You know, the system's yeah. broken in that sense. But you know, you think about it is, you know, your next contract might might be worth a hundred million dollars. You really need to protect that and and. You don't want data to be used against you to reduce twenty, thirty mm. million dollars. So it, it's Your very capacity, different. Yeah, yeah, and where the yeah, NFL well. is 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 not for long. You know, you have the average is three and a half years. Well, realistically, that that's skewed because some of your veterans play eight and ten years. So if you really look at it, a guy will be lucky to last a season. You know? Wow! Wow! <laughs> so how long are the contracts in the NFL on average? When they sign them, they, year to year, they roll on or? Yeah. So normally the rookies, so the, the first round rookies, you know, like so Miles Garrett, for instance, they would, you know, when he came in, they signed him for five years. So he was a number one pick. He got a 20 million bonus, sign on bonus. Sign on bonus. Um, sign on bonus. So five years. But normally because he's so good, you want to renegotiate kind of in year three or four. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're a rookie for the first year. And then they they're a veteran in year three, so um, a lot shorter. Oh, wow. Quarterbacks quarterbacks will because of the demand will be signed longer, um, but and and probably offensive linemen, you know, just some of the the you know your running back probably won't get a long term deal because he's just a battering ram into mm -hmm. the man. Like he's I'm trying to think of the the weight. He's a hundred. He's probably a hundred kilos, hundred and ten kilos, running into guys who are probably one fifty, one sixty kilos. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to shorten his lifespan. <laughs> hey Dan, we, yeah. should have, we should have agents in powerlifting. Yeah, there's heaps of money in powerlifting. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of these these players and and I've had a lot of different sports reach out to me. You know, like bobsledding and and cycling and that. Like, can you keep your eye on the guys who don't make it? Because actually, physically, mm. they'd be at the top of our tree. Um, mm. But it's interesting. A lot of the guys just are not motivated after they don't make football. Mm -hmm. It's just they finish finish sport forever. Yeah. So where do they go after? For example, you know, they they sign the Cleveland Browns. After one year, Browns let them go. They don't get picked up. What happens to these players? Some of them go into strength conditioning. Some some of them go into coaching. Some of them do other things. But a lot of the a lot of the NFL boys who really like training go into collegiate systems because yeah. you know they've made the NFL. A lot of respect. Players want to get there, and and they got big staffs. You know they got like five and six players per team, 
five and six strength and conditioning coaches per team. So mm-hmm. normally you'd have you need an ex player on that staff. So uh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I imagine they're also cashed up from that previous contract, so they're you know they're pretty doing all right for themselves. <laughs> they're not they're not starving. Some, uh, yeah, some of them. I think. So I think when I was there, the minute, and it's probably increased, but it's it's around about half a million the basic salary, so okay. the minimum salary. But some of them on the training squad are, are probably earning two, three hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, mm. So you know, and they, let's face it, you're in the locker room, and everyone's got a nice car and a nice thing, and they're going out to lunches and this and that. So they're spending. You're dollars. living. You're yeah. You're living with millionaires. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. You know, unfortunately like the rookies go through we, we have a very a stringent program where they have to go through education so things like managing your money um understanding that family now really wants your money you know yeah, and yeah, yeah. oh wow and it's it's really sad it's really sad a lot of these these guys who have come from nothing you know boys in the hood yeah. type thing we've seen that movie that's where the, a lot of the boys come from and it's really interesting. Come in, you saw the nice facility, Dan, when you were there. When someone walks through that facility, you forget where they've come from. You know? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I thought it was Kevin Costner when I walked <laughs> in that door. Yeah. It's a good movie, huh? I've watched that about Great 10 movie. Times. Actually, Paul, what's it called? It's money, is it, what was it called? Moneyball? Was it Moneyball? Moneyball was with Paul DiBodesta. So uh, Paul, um, baseball-wise. And That's the baseball one. That was very good. What's the, the Kevin Costner one? Draft day, I think. Draft day, that's it. Yeah. Paul, if you haven't seen Draft Day, they shoot it at the actual Cleveland Brown Training oh, okay. Center. Oh, that, that's oh, where I went. I'm pretty sure I've seen about yeah. it. I love those movies. So good. That's yeah. no, it was very good. Movie. I watched it. Watched it a lot. Like that's the funny thing is when I went for my interview, I was just natural. I was like, they go, "Do you know much about the Browns?" I'm like, if I'm honest, I've started watching a lot of documentaries and stuff. Draft Day and you know that sort of thing. Like, and they just giggled. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably think it's funny the movie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I want to hear about the um, uh, oh, man, it's gone, it slipped. You were the first strength and conditioning coach to go to the draft pick, the draft pick, uh, NFL draft pick day. The what's it called? Oh, the, the combine. Yes, sorry, the combine. I want to hear no, about that. The first- wasn't the wasn't the first strength conditioning coach to go to that? No, one. I thought you were. No, no, I was the high performance director. No, because they have a long line of tradition. So, let's say the Redskins. You know, another guy from the Redskins. Like he really came from a powerlifting background, actually. So he he actually manned the bench press competition. You know, as many bench <laughs> press presses two two twenty five. So yeah, um, so he would man that. There'd be other strength conditioning coaches doing the uh, vertical jump. Um, mm. Now, obviously, there's officials there and, and stuff like that, but it was a good time. I really enjoyed going there, um, you know, meeting a lot of people, and then all the facilities, you know, like Hammerstrand, Sornex, you know, all the, mm. all the different um, places would put on all these different uh, uh, smoothing type, you know, like dinners, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and they would yeah. show all their products, and, w- and we'd walk out with all their cool products and things cool. to take home. And, yeah, it was. It Can't was carry cool. a hamstring for at home, but <laughs> now I tried <laughs> over your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, the Browns facility was uh, when I went there was unbelievable. I loved how you so in the weight room that you had all the glass doors and they opened up onto the indoor yeah. field. Oh, that was crazy! That was a big one. Yeah. Trying to, I was actually trying to at the time. I, I wanted the meeting rooms to be able to open up in into the weight room. So, mm. and then the outdoors and stuff like that. So, so they can move around. They're in meetings in the NFL. They're in meetings so much, you know, hours upon hours upon hours. So, wow. which, yeah, I remember all the rooms. There's an offensive room, there's yeah. a defensive room, there's a coach's room, there's everyone's got a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got the little, little running back room because there's only like three of them, you know, the quarterback. Yeah. Room. But then, then you've got the offensive line because there's so many guys. It's like an executive boardroom, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah, it was so yeah, cool. Was, so, how does really how does your how does your weight room in at the Chicago Cubs differ from the NFL? Like, what are the, some of the key differences in sort of some of the things you do in the two sports? Yeah, no, it, it really interesting. So, we we're here. Like, I'm based in Arizona. Last year, I spent all of my time dropped the family off here. Spent all my time in Chicago. 
So they've built that under Wrigley Field. So um, Wrigley Field, one of the most iconic mm-hmm, ballparks. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't want to put it outside. So they built the clubhouse downstairs and they had the weight room. Now, it was probably one of the first things that I thought, well, that was subpar. So we've changed that. So we just finished that, actually. Sonex put that. I redid the flooring. Um, we've put in probably the different thing. We've got racks and things like that. I think they're kind of standard for, for a lot of different hmm. sports. But, you know, we've had, like, things like throws walls. You know, uh, we've, we put, like, a pitcher mound in there. Um, <laughs> measure velocities for, for things like medicine ball throwing. So more towards probably some of the traditional Olympic sports such as uh, javelin, you know, the, the throwing sports. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Finns have done a really good job and, and I was lucky enough to, to tour around Finland and, and have a look at a lot of their venues. So kind of copied some of those and talked to the coaches to see what they want. Um, here in Arizona, we have all of our minor league plus we have our spring training. So we have over 250 athletes at one time. So it looks more like a football gym at the moment. Like there's, you know, there's eight racks and stuff like that, which you know, at the moment I'm quite a big, uh, you know, I want to change it. I want to change it more towards the sport. I don't like a gym. I don't like looking in, walking in the gym and going, okay, if you took the Chicago Cubs logo off, what sport would this mm. be? You know, I want it to be more yeah. the sport. So, you know, I want to make sure that it looks or, or caters for baseball, you know, mm. I think yeah, it has that theme that and the, yeah, and the mindset, because at the end of the day, that, that's what we're trying to help, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Crazy. So yeah. you actually did your sports science degree here in, in Perth at ECU, Adam. And when you, when you did your sports science degree, you were one of the first people to actually get into the degree um, at the time. It was only just released yeah. about the time you went into it, right? The, so the master's, so, so the Bachelor of Sports Science was... Well, four or five years prior to me, I think. You know, what I mean? like the mm. so. But there wasn't a lot of graduates who had come out, so it was quite new. Four or five years is quite uh, new. Yeah, it was. It was. And then when I did the masters, I did it in biomechanics. When I went to the Australian Institute of Sport, they had this graduate diploma in elite sports coaching. And when yeah. I went back to to start my masters, I said to to the guys at Edith Cowan, I said, "Look, you've got to have some sort of like graduate diploma or." masters in strength and conditioning like there's a real real like benefit to it you know yeah so uh, yeah they looked at it and they constructed the they got rob newton from there um, mm-hmm. and he he was like the he's now the, the dean i think but he was the mm-hmm. um the senior lecturer and stuff like that. and they got a lot of people in strength and conditioning so it was really good it was really good mm. um you know had a really good basis in terms of uh uh, and support, you know, a lot of really good people. But yeah, one of the first kind of, well, more interested in strength and conditioning anyway. More people were doing it kind of personal training and, and that sort of thing at the time. You know? Well, actually, that's a question I have for you. When you went into your, started studying, what was the what was the ambition? Like, what, what did you want to achieve? Like, I, I know Paul and I started our degrees and um, a lot of the kids that start those degrees, they don't actually know what they want to do. Did you have more of a, a clear vision or... I knew I wanted to work in professional sport. I actually thought that I wanted to be a physiotherapist. So, and physiotherapy in Perth, especially, is just so competitive to get in. I, th- I think the degree, like the, the tertiary entrance examination, is, is way too high. You're probably better off doing medicine or law. And you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's mm. not too far under them. Um, I struggled to get in. So, I did a lot of work experience. So, I did, and they said you can't do it in sport. So, I had to hide that I wanted to do it in sport. So I had to do go and do some work with ger- uh, in gerontology. So I did the physiotherapy assistant at, at some of the aged care units. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fell in love yeah. with that. Um, did some stuff in Fremantle with disability. So kids who, you know, surgeons had, had, you know, transplanted some muscles from their legs to their arms and, and I was doing mm-hmm. hydrotherapy for those kids. Um, at the time, I was quite an angry young man of just so set and I just want sport where that, that really mellowed me out in terms of realizing how lucky I was and, and just how kind people are and that sort of thing. Mm. Then I realized I didn't want to do physiotherapy. You know, I was like, <laughs> I love weight training. I love running. I love sprinting. I love help. I love coaching, you know, mm. and while physiotherapy, it helps people. It doesn't coach. Like I'm a coach. 
No, that's right. So, um, and then I knew I wanted to be a strength conditioning coach because I kind of look back at one of my mentors who was Steve Smith. He runs Aspire um, out in Claremont. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he was the first um, Australian cricket strength conditioning coach. Cool. Uh, and, and he had me, you know, when I was in, in, in lower level representative rugby league. So I was like, it's staring me in the face. That's what I want to do. And then, yeah. So I really just put everything into trying to become a, a, a good strength and conditioning coach. Not a lot of mentors at the time. I just kept reaching out to different people. And, and yeah, I was very interested. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. Now the degree, it's. I mean, there's so many graduates every year, two to three hundred graduates, from what I from what I understand. And I mean, there's in Australia especially, it's very difficult for them to find career paths that they actually are interested in. I mean, the the, the professional sport career path is obviously high on everyone's list, but very very difficult to crack. Um, in Australia, yeah. I mean, we're very limited in terms of how many professional teams we have, and as you know, sometimes it's a little boys' club. It's who you know um, as to how you get into certain places. Yeah, no, absolutely. And over here, it, it's similar-ish in terms of, you know, I remember we played Jacksonville Jaguars and, and I know the head strength finishing coach really well and he came over and he said, look, in two years, my son will need an internship and he wants to do it with you. It's like, oh, have I got a choice? Yeah. You remember, I was thinking, but, you know, like that's, that's yeah. the industry. Um, yeah, and I look with this pandemic, you know, COVID-19 is is – when I was at Fremantle, there was two strength and conditioning coaches. Now, you look at these staffs, they're like 14 and 15 of all these different specialists. You know, you have a running coach, you have a yoga coach, you have a yeah. Pilates coach, you have a sprints coach, you have all these different, like it's going to go back to really, really uh, small staffs and those people are going to have to be very wide, you know. Yeah. Need powerlifting I mean, coaches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, like um, we used to have them when I was at Freeman, I think it was my second year, we started getting a weights coach in to help. Um, I can't remember the background at the time, but I mean, yeah, like weightlifting or powerlifting or whatever. You know, like you need, you know, if you can get people in to help you and, and stay safe, you know what I mean? Like guys do a lot of bench press and they should know how to bench press properly. You know what I mean? Like so many I've seen injuries. some of those NRL combines. They don't know how to bench press properly. <laughs> and that's what I did very early on with all of all of my work. You know, I wasn't afraid to get in someone who was an expert, at least to talk to the group. Yeah. You know, and and tell us yeah. what we need to know in all sorts all sorts of areas. You know. Yeah. I actually admire that because I know that. Um, I mean, I've had the experience here trying to talk to a few different people that they, they're so protective of their roles. They don't want anyone coming in and trying to smoothie their way in. They're not very uh, open to getting experts in certain fields to come in and give them a hand. Yeah, and I think that comes down to confidence, Dan. You know what I mean? Like, and and not being upfront what you're trying to look for. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, for instance, if I, you know, I was really interested in in getting you guys in, we'd have to spend time on how are we teaching a squat, for instance. You know what I mean? Like, we have to come up, and it has to be the agreed way that we're going to do so you don't turn around and go hey why are you teaching it like that you know like so mm. and you you have a consensus and everyone understands where they're at rather than yeah 100 i'm not going to let him do it because i don't know <laughs> you know so yeah 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 i mean i found that here just trying to talk to a few people that they're just so protective they don't want outsiders coming in it's so bizarre it's scarcity mindset and you're right it comes from a place of fear and, and low confidence um but yeah it's just i found it totally bizarre but it is what it is i guess yeah it is i i I don't think it's just unique to to sport either you know no hell no business you name it it's everywhere yeah i've Mm. always looked at it if i need help then i'm just gonna say and and i'll bring people in and you know i've brought people into the nfl i've brought people in wales i've brought people here and and you know i'll just get the player group i'll bring them in i'll say hey i've got so-and-so in they're a world expert or they're a local expert or they're a sport expert. They can really help us. And this is what we're going to do, mm. you know? So, and I, yeah, I like that. That then spreads, you know, like and it's, it's in anything, you know, you know, mm. that when someone comes in and helps you, they're going to go and talk positive of you and your business. And, and mm. we're in the people mm. business, 
you know? Yeah, no, 100%. Absolutely. We deal with people. Um, yes. And we, and especially in our case, you know, our, I mean, our business is about working with people and delivering an experience. Um, and I guess it's no different, really. You want everyone to have a good experience because that's what uh, produces results at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's we run a bit of a different business to you. Um, I had a question for you, actually, in terms of like private sector stuff. Uh, in, a, in, a, in Australia, you know, private sector, I mean like small strength and conditioning facilities and stuff. Um, a lot of them try and work with local teams and that type of thing. I mean, what's how does it work in, in the US in terms of um, local, private, you know, DeFranco, for example. Um, do NFL players off-season go see DeFranco for off-season training? How do they sort of, where's the, I guess it's like bridging the gap between um, sort of your local private enterprise and professional team sport. Yeah, so kind of back to the NFL. So the NFL has a player union. It's, you know, the NFLPA. It's very, very powerful, as is the MLB. But I'll give you an example on the NFL. So on the NFL uh, board for the for the Player Association, they have different experts. Now, one of the experts in kind of my area or our area, okay, owns a private business, <laughs> okay? So... What is the best way for that person's business? Well, not to have the NFL franchises be able to train the players in the offseason. So, i.e., you get these big DeFranco, uh, Exos, you know, all of these, the players have to go back, you know, to mm. the thing. So there's a big business in that sense. Whereas in Australia or, you know, when I was in Wales, if I had a player who went to a private uh, place, I would say, okay, you can limit that to one or two times ever, and that's it. You do my program, it's finished. Not because, hmm. you know, I kind of talked about um, being confident and using other people. I don't mind doing that. I just can't have them doing different things to our programs outside what hmm. I know because then if it's a different philosophy, then the buck stops with me. Whereas in the yeah. NFL, we had rules, so I had to try and manage that. And and mm. I think, but yeah, the, those those places can earn a lot of money. They're very very lucrative. We, you know, we have Exos here. I went and had a look. There's Altus Altus here. They they sell. They share the same building. There's a lot of NFL players, MLB players, but they they come at different times. You know, and mm. yeah, they're very very well marketed. They have education um, theory and stuff online that you can buy and and, and that sort of thing. But then you get the other the, the the players who go back to their collegiate or you know college strength. Yeah, coach. yeah. And a lot of them go back to their and they train out of their their old college old college gyms, their super gyms. But you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so um, very lucrative here. Very lucrative. It's very very different model. I, I tried it very early in my career, um, and I was I was helped training teams and and that sort of thing. Um, I think potentially developing, you know, young aspiring Australian rules footballers for combines and stuff like that. That could be yeah, yeah. help or or rich mm. parents for tennis and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, very different model. Just the size of, you know, I have one of my good friends. He has four or five uh, players from the NFL who came and see me in the offseason. They pay him about 25000 each and he limits to five. And, you know, if someone... That the the group decides whether a guy is allowed to come in or not, you know. So and yeah. they limit it, and, and he goes through everything, you know, strength and conditioning, mental training. It's a, it's a real curriculum. So mm. it's so far for, removed from what I was used to in Australia. Oh yeah, big time. Um, look, we have a lot of a lot of listeners who are either studying or have ambitions to be in a position that you're in. I guess what would interest the people that listen to our podcast and even for myself, just out of curiosity, is how did you go from finishing a degree here in Perth, the steps along the way to getting to where you are now? I mean, it, it feels so far removed. Um, I mean, if you speak to some of the uni grads here, they will have ambition to be, you know, where you are, but the the steps along the way are very blurry. Like, it, there's not a really clear, defined path. No. Is it a matter of knowing certain people or getting lucky breaks or a combination of both? Or obviously, you have to be very good at what you do, like you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of all, all of what you said. Uh, you know, there's the really nice thing about our industry and probably the weakness of our industry 
is you can come from so many different streams. You know, you guys come from a very, very uh, strong powerlifting background, but a weightlifting guy can do this, you know, the same like path or a guy can come from a very high science or a, a fitness background. So there's a lot of different backgrounds that you can, you can collect. Um, I guess for me, I tried to collect skills and, and people at, the, at first. So when I was at Fremantle, I had Rick Charlesworth. Um, he was our high performance director, field hockey coach, high level, you know, doctor, politician, overachiever. Mm. And he asked me mm. what I wanted to do. And he said, uh, Adam, what do you want to do? And I said, what do you mean, Rick? And I, was, I was actually at the time thinking, fuck, he knows my name. Um, so he, he, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be head of fitness because there was no high performance guy mm. at the time. And he said, oh, well, you can't regurgitate the learnings within this sport. This sport's just on Australia. So you need to travel. So, he, you know, obviously he played field hockey um, to Pakistan, India, mm-hmm. um, the United Kingdom, the US, uh, the Netherlands. So I, I said, okay, so what else should I do, Rick? And he said, you should go overseas and learn. Learn from other people. Go into Olympic sports. Go and have a look. So went home to my girlfriend Diane at the time and now is now my wife and said hey we're going to travel like I'm going to I'm going to try and get into the Australian Institute of Sport I want to learn different things and you know wanted to come back to Fremantle and it's been 20 years so yeah I know yeah been really lucky just you know the English Institute got up and running really early um I applied for UK athletics I got the job then they changed to the English Institute. So I was thrust in to be a head strength and conditioning coach early on. Sweet. Was, wasn't ready for it. Um, still on the tools, you know what I mean? Like very, very uh, mm. coach orientated. Didn't really want to manage people. Didn't do it well, but learned a massive amount from my mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get, like I set goals. I really had, um, but more, I, I didn't mind having the step back. So Fremantle, and then I stepped back to the scholarship coach at the Australian Institute. Then I went to English Institute as, as the head strength and conditioning coach. And then I went to Aspire Academy. So, you know, like from professional sport to kind of academy of sport. So, you know, a lot of people would have thought step down. But actually, when I went out to um, Qatar, I got to work with a lot of Europeans and, and stuff like that that I'd only read about in books. You know, we had the sprint mm-hmm. coach from a former, you know, Germany, Dominican Republic, you know, like (laughs) unbelievable and was able to ask him questions about, you know, their sports systems and, you know, drugs and how they did different things. Um, It's really, really interesting. So, you know, took that step back, went to Welsh rugby and, you know, kind of stopped asking for jobs, you know, like people kind of came to me. Headhunted. Yeah. And and I'm really lucky in that sense. You know, it's happened. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't put myself out there. I don't do it. This is my first podcast, by the way. You know, like that's. I don't tend to do a lot of a lot of things. Um, I downplay a lot of my stuff, but I'm I am lucky. I'm starting to, you know, get a little little bit of a reputation where we I get a lot of headhunters talking to me about positions and who do I recommend. You know, because I, mm. I now have a have a tree. <laughs> people have worked under me, so try and get good people out there. So. Mm. Um, I don't know where it's going to lead. I, I, I kind of stopped setting goals in 13. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, my wife soon, you know. Man, you've got a very understanding wife. Yes. And, uh, and I guess that's another thing, if, if you know, to, to your audience of, of making sure that you have a supportive partner, you know, be that if you're a woman, a man or, you know, like whatever, like you need a good person behind you and will support you and, yeah. be able to go through the hard times for the good times because oh, yeah. a lot of the times I get the accolades of you know she doesn't get a lot of the accolades but you know she's very special mm. to, to me and, and our family so speaking of accolades I've got a list of yours yeah. strength and conditioning head coach coach of the year in 2013 and strength and conditioning coach of the year in 2009 as well from NSCA so yeah. um yeah yeah very cool. You've also had quite a few publications, a lot of them yeah. around the uh, the topic of hypoxia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So altitude. So we put in an altitude chamber. Um, 
in the Welsh rugby. So I want to have a look at repeat sprints. They were doing some stuff in Lausanne at the time. I'd worked with Professor Gregoire Millet, who is uh, an absolute expert in the physiology and, and altitude area. Um, he's French, um, was pestering me to do a PhD um, to be accepted in, into a university like Lausanne is, uh, mm. is a huge, huge thing for me as it was. And, oh, it was, it was hard, put a lot of, uh, put a lot of effort in it and, and a lot of travel back and forwards. And, and yeah, it was, it was fortunate. So you recently actually happened. finished the PhD. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, really, really pleased with that. Like, you know, obviously I had my, my degrees, sports science and, and then biomechanics in at Edith Cowan just down the road from where I used to live. And mm-hmm. then I couldn't get any further away in Lausanne where, hmm. you know, you're over the Geneva Lake and it's snowing on the mountains. And my, my uh, supervisor lived in Evian. So we would catch the boat, you know, where the water, we all yeah. have yeah. Evian water. So I was able to fill up my student uh, water bottle in with the Evian water and, and catch the nice. Without paying for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the water, not the boat. The boat's very expensive. Um, <laughs> yeah that's really cool that's really cool but yeah, but yeah put myself outside my comfort like in terms of was really comfortable with the biomechanics you know it was very mechanistic you know i talked about mm. my, my master's was in in uh the optimal load in the power clean you know mm-hmm. i saw that yeah mechanical. yeah so then it was like okay so do i keep going biomechanics no let's get outside my realm again and, and make myself uncomfortable and, and get much stronger in the, in the physiology area. So hypoxia. That's cool. Yes. Very, very yeah. cool. Yeah. How are you enjoying your time with the Cubs? It's obviously been cut a bit short from COVID, but from what you told me, it's very different from NFL. These guys play like six times a week or something, something insane. Yeah. So we play, we play 162 games in 183 days. Yeah. <laughs> What? How many on the roster? Uh, we have a 40-man in terms of uh, – so 28 play, but 48 40, – uh, sorry, 40 on our on our you know, big league roster. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, it's, it's unique. You know, like so our starting pitchers are more like football players or AFL players in terms of they're once, once every five days. So that, that's quite normal for yeah. them. Like, oh, gravitate towards that. Yeah, I get that. Uh, yeah. but you know, you got to be careful with them because of how much they're worth, you know, like mm-hmm. you just add up yeah. our batting pitches, it's over 150 million of that 219 million. Yeah. Right. But then you get the field players who are playing like 150 plus games and the respect that I had for those guys is just phenomenal just every day. And, and the lesson I probably got from the U S compared to Australia and, and Europe and, and that sort of thing is. They've they've got a lot of grit, you know. They just keep going, yeah. you know, and, and and it's they just get up and running. So if things don't go well, then they just get on with it. They they've got that mm. on switch. The American professional sports uh, sportsmen and sportswomen just have that switch. They can just switch it on and switch switch off really really well. So, mm. Imagine playing every day for like 180 days, pretty much. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, if they're doing 10 innings. Yeah. Powerlifters suck if they have to compete more than two times a year. I know. <laughs> it's, it's maximal capacity, isn't it? You know, like of this course. is the thing. Is, is yeah. um, but in saying that, they're very explosive, so they'll have you know the amount of explosive actions is very high. You know, so mm. um, big time throwing and running, yeah, well, and sprinting, yeah, yeah, and hitting yeah. as well because they all have to hit too. They do. They do, and. You know, you just see them tear hamstrings and stuff like that and you think, oh, like we're trying to get them stronger. But, and, you know, you go through all these nice protocols and you can go to the research and have a look at the consensus consensus statement for warming up and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, they're on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off. So, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. they, it's very hard to rewarm up nine or ten times, you know, and, and yeah. that you're going to go and, and how many, you know, pitches are they going to face until you go in and it's, uh-huh. it's really tough. It's really tough. So... We've tried to have a look at, you know, different different ways, passive warming and and, and different things. So um, you got to yeah, because I mean, while they're sitting in the dugout waiting, 
they're cooling down. Then they've got to run out there mm-hmm. and then they've got to be reactive and explosive and chasing a ball around and throwing. And mm. yeah, that's um, yeah. never thought about that aspect of baseball. Yeah, and it's a sport based on being unsuccessful. You're, you're unsuccessful most of the time. Yeah. And that took me a really? while to get used to. Yeah, because you're striking out. Or, yeah, and that, so you're missing more uh, than you're hitting. hitting. Yeah. yeah, so it's not like the movies yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're very routine orientated. So it's very interesting. So when a player is going through a bad period, he becomes very receptive. And that's what I had last year. A couple of players knock on my door or... So, hey, uh, I was thinking about this or I've been thinking about what you said now. And you know yeah. whatever you give them, as soon as they, as soon as they go well, they'll they'll utilize it. And then when they don't do well, they may go back to their old routine. I kind of yeah. call it the lucky underpants, you know, theory is, you yeah. know, I'll wear the, the habit. those underpants as long as they get a hit, you know. So, <laughs> It's uh yeah yeah it's very interesting the the mind aspect of this sport and the skill acquisition, you know aspect of the sport mm-hmm. is incredible. It, it's it it's a lot of different challenges and I, I'm enjoying it. Like it's it's not the sport that I grew up on. Uh, it's closest thing is cricket. Um, hmm. but I've been involved in running sports for for since '96. You know, like in terms of coaching. So um, it's, it's yeah. This is a quite a, a, st- a start a stop start sport. Um, unlike a field sport like your NFL and your AFL and soccer and, and rugby and those types of sports, mm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, a bit different, a bit yeah. different. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you've been away for twenty years now. I hear it all the time from Heidi. Um, what's the what's the plan? What's the plans for the future? I mean, do you have have a have a goal in mind? Would you like to come back to Australia and work here in, in either professional sport or maybe at a uni? As a lecturer, or oh, gym. what's the good powerlifting gym? <laughs> powerlifting gym. It's not everybody, it's not everybody. Oh. Come on, like, <laughs> a good powerlifting gym. That might be like a really great way just to retire, man. I like, just think yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, good. Yeah, I'll invest in the gym. Um, I don't know. Like it's you know, like obviously this this period with with the pandemic, that you know, you reflect on a lot of different things. You know yeah. how. Dion and I were never um, aiming to stay away for so long. And if an opportunity comes and it's much bigger than what you can get at home, then you're probably going to stay. But, you know, the pull of family and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, um, we've missed out on a lot of uh, relatives having kids and stuff like that. You know, you've got the young one, like as in we miss that. So, you know, yeah, it would be nice to come home. I just don't know whether... It could be consulting back and forwards to the US, working in sport. You know, like um, there's only two AFL franchises in, in in Perth and I know the people in there. So out of respect, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm aiming for their jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. If the opportunity came up, then potentially, yeah, I, I would look at that. Um, you have to maximise your time in the US in terms of, you know, obviously we've, we've talked money and maybe, I'm on the bottom of that that money making tree, but it, it's okay for my profession. You know, I'm on the top of that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. How long? How long do you keep that for? So I know. How long do you keep the gravy train going? <laughs> and also, yeah, you have to love it as well, right? Because it's a very demanding job. Um, you know, I mean, the Cubs. You're traveling how many times a week? Yeah, lots, lots. Um, you know, I've got the affiliates, so out in the minor leagues and and, and stuff like. That. At the moment, I'm not. I'm, I'm working from home, which is probably show me that potentially. Um, for some roles that I could, you know, a lot of, mm. a lot of the US um, franchises would like to get this up and running, but probably can't afford it, you know, where some of the bigger, bigger franchises. So, um, you know, that might be options. I, I, I really don't know. Like there's, there's, there's offers all the time that you're considering and, and, and that sort of thing. So um, I just like to give back to the industry and, and enjoy family and, and that sort of thing. So. Mm. Um, who knows what it's exciting i, I kind of like the you know we we always look at it, it'll take us where we need to be and and the lessons mm-hmm. we need to learn some of the some of the lessons i've had to learn a couple of times but um so yeah well jobs <laughs> it is what it is would you consider going back to the nfl if you got the right offer uh yeah look i'm in contract obviously with the mlb and i'm enjoying that but yeah potentially you know like um i enjoyed my time there the the off season and and uh, is is much more enjoyable than probably some of the other sports. Um, mm. But 
you know, we'll see. I, I've talked to a few teams, you know, that, that have asked, and obviously I'm in contract, so, you know. You, oh, look, I mean, your job at the show, Cubs, is unbelievable. Chicago, I mean, the Cubs is probably one of the the most well-known um, baseball teams in the world. Um, incredible um, experience. in the world, yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the, the big thing is the pinnacle in a lot of our sports, especially probably, you know, you have a look at, um, you know, when Jared Hayne played played for the 49ers, you know, the whole country stopped and I wanted to see him and, and all that sort of stuff. So sometimes it's considered the pinnacle and, you know, while I enjoyed it, if it comes back and, and then I'll just consider, you know, all, all things and, and we'll see, so. Mm. Cool, awesome. Have you ever competed in powerlifting? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Paul's recruiting. Uh, I, I think I always go back like when I was when I was when we were um we had at this at, at the Western Reds I think the head strength and conditioning coach for the or the strength coach for the the first team come from powerlifting mm-hmm. so Paul Jordan yes Paul, Paul Jordan. Jordan was a very good lifter very very good thousand, lifter. thousand pound squat I'm pretty sure very cool yeah yeah that's right would yeah. you ever consider becoming a powerlifting coach? Because we are after someone right now. <laughs> I think it's way below his pay grade, Paul. Way know, below. Like, you know, like, we do this for the love of it. Give me hug. Could you, could you consider <laughs> doing it for the love? Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, it's well, interesting. Hang on. I, we have to do it for the love. <laughs> hey, we're, yeah, that's a good point. we all do it for the love, let's yeah. face it. Um, Absolutely. But I, I you know, saw your education stuff on online and, and stuff like that. And some of my strength conditioning coaches, I kind of think, that, you know, like the earlier stuff that I looked into, the periodization and stuff like that, like the, the strength sports are just so much better at, at, at understanding those those volumes and intensities. You know, we're, we're going towards this velocity-based training with tendos and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I yeah. think yeah, yeah. To, yeah, there's a lot to learn from actually our pure sports like powerlifting and weightlifting. You know, like yeah. I, I really went towards weightlifting and I started coaching weightlifting and, and yeah. stuff like that. But I never looked at powerlifting as, you know, against weightlifting. I just look at it. it it's the same language, just different kind of dialect. You know, it's, it's definitely not opposing. Get them strong. Yeah. No, no. But, um, you know, I enjoy both. I, I, you know, I didn't squat and bench that much when I played rugby league. So I think I squatted just... Just under two, uh, but I mean, it was probably a high squat at the time. Mm-hmm. I probably told everybody it was below parallel. It probably wasn't at the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good I've question. Got, got a when you were back. when you were coaching at uh, uh, the Cleveland Browns in the gym, what is the biggest squat you ever saw yeah. on one of your players? Biggest squat. It's a good. Uh, I think we had. What did we have? We had. I think it was about 625, 625 625, pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but, yeah, 300-ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but big boy, you know, like I think he was... Uh, 285? Yeah. No, three, three, what was he, 348? No, yeah. the squat was 285. Kilos, oh, sorry. He Kilos. Was, yeah. Well, that's the thing is the head coach used to laugh at me. So I'd go along and go, coach, coach so-and-so is, uh, he's weighing in at one, you know, 132. He goes, I Yeah, that's the biggest thing. The pounds to kilos conversion kills you. It does. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very hard. So I had like a little app on my phone when I do it, but... But I would I would order all weightlifting plates, bumper plates, and I would have the same color as you know, like your reds, Good idea. blues. Yeah. So so I would understand. I would just go, okay, yeah, yeah, I understand that. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. go to the app, the app converter, or I also yeah. had like a little converter, like a little uh, um, like a table or something, little magnet, a tag, yeah. yeah so yeah, the yeah. players knew how to load the bar, and you know, I I knew then because. You know, I programmed everything and, and that sort of thing. So it's, <laughs> it's very, very interesting when the, the NFL players come in. They come from all these different colleges. So, you know, it's like, oh, can you power clean? No, I come from a weightlifting gym or, you know, a powerlifting gym or, you know, yeah, like, right. really? Oh, no, we're, we do this. It's like, mm. oh, okay, they've done that. It's like, oh, shit, he's probably only got one year, you know? <laughs> so. 
That later was, on. That was tough. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, we've been going for an hour now, so um, I, know, I think we're going to wrap things up unless we have any more questions for Adam Pauly. No, that was, I, that was honestly, awesome. I just sat and I enjoyed listening to uh, your experiences, yeah. to be honest. Mostly. I mean, I've had the opportunity to sit with Adam for quite a few hours when I was over there. We had, I remember we had a bottle of scotch or something and that was good times. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Some of the stories can't be repeated, obviously, on the uh, podcast, but um, yeah. wow, there's some, some good stories and such an awesome career. And I'm sure you've still got a, a, many years ahead of you, Adam. We look forward to having you back in Perth at some point um, as well. Are you planning to come back this year? If if we were, is allowed? we were in terms of yeah because we're, we're on the visa and that we plan to do it it's in the contract and stuff like that but we we don't know in terms of just borders opening and, and that sort yeah. of thing so we'd like to we planned planned in december for, for a couple of weeks but we just have to see you know like we just have to make sure that the visa keeps going and, and all that stuff with the yeah so love to but yeah look thanks very much for having us on like really no worries it was, that was funny. a lot of fun. Texas back and forwards and, and allow me to <laughs> on like, you know, again, that's that's kind of, I've done webinars and stuff and things, but I haven't done a podcast. So that's cool. Because uh, mm. Look, of- you know, I mean, we have a lot of different types of listeners. Obviously, many of them, many of them into the sport of powerlifting, but we also would have many people that would be interested in sort of your journey, especially, you know, how do you go from local Perth ECU graduate to where you are? And I think that journey is, um, is interesting and there's a lot of lessons to be, to be had, um, and hopefully the listeners get something out of that. But um, thank you very much. Really appreciate you spending the time. Thank you. No, more than welcome. More than welcome. Well, yeah. have a good Sunday. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. my Saturday night and uh, yeah. stay safe. Yeah, Take it see. easy. Thanks, and We really appreciate it. Appreciate it. See you guys. See, see you later. Thanks for listening to the Ruchie Strengthcast. Be sure to subscribe to join us on the journey and for more information, visit ruchiesgym.com. 